And we'll go in three, two, and one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our season preview series here on the College Basketball Ends. Another two a show for you. And I think Dom and I both like that. Again, Nicholas Odell, Dominic Stern, as always, alongside me. More mid majors today, Dom. That is a nice one for both of us. Yes, this is our second to a show. If you want to listen to the other one where we talked about the A10 and the Mountain West Conference, go ahead and listen to that. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, I know that I certainly did well with the Mountain West Conference, as I am a fan of a team in the Mountain West. So certainly a lot of knowledge in there uh, in terms of the other uh, mid-majors. But uh, we're talking about the Missouri Valley and the MAC. You know, these are two pretty common teams where you see you know, potential upset teams. So certainly one you want to listen to, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about these exciting conferences today. Yes, and let's get straight into the Missouri Valley Conference. Northern Iowa and Loyola Chicago, the top two, but it ended up being Bradley who won the Missouri Valley Conference tournament in the first week of bracket season before everything shut down. And Bradley was probably in the running for around a 14 seed or so, at least the consensus from bracketmatrix.com before the season did get shut down. And Northern Iowa and Royal Chicago seem to be a very interesting pair. We'll have that debate here on the program a little bit later on. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, say analyze our top five. There are a few differences. So I'll let you start with uh, Missouri State. Yeah, I had a tough time deciding who's going to be that five and six spot between Missouri State and Southern Illinois. Uh, I chose Missouri State. Uh, they, they are losing their top scorer from last year, Keandre Cook, but they're returning a lot of depth from last year. And a lot of times with these mid-major teams, if you can just have several players that you can play, that way you can avoid playing in foul trouble. Uh, you know, just you have a ton of options in case if these guys aren't always on. I don't like just relying on one guy, especially in mid-major. So we'll take that. I think Missouri State, they'll take a little bit of a step forward from last year. They were 9-9 nine nine last year, uh, certainly struggled in non-conference play to only 16-17 and 17 on the year. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him pass Valpo, and in my projections, I think they could also pass Southern Illinois too. And Southern Illinois, I'll, I'll go off on them. I think they're going to be a little higher and try to uh, reach for fourth. Uh, still a very young team, which could create some issues, but where this team will probably succeed is their man-to-man system and how well that can create their solid foundation. Uh, this is a team that they're going to have to rely on a couple of different sophomores, Lance Jones and Marcus Damask. Uh, Jones as a point guard, and he'll have to uh, settle in. And then Damask uh, as a, uh, a stretch four also was able to really make a statement last year of 13-6 a game on the scoring side and 5-2 re- on the rebounds per game. Someone that was one of the best freshmen last year in the entire Missouri Valley Conference. Ben Harvey, the Eastern Illinois transfer, he will try to make his way into the perimeter as well. And, uh, and also Jacoby Long, the Southern Utah transfer. He'll be brought in to help with rebounding. That will be a case where the Salutskis need to improve upon. The worst rebounding margin in the conference last year. So that's a team that definitely needs to improve there. Uh, this is a team that can be competitive. Um, it's still very young, but you know some of these younger pieces succeeded last year, and I would not be surprised if the Saluskis made their way into the top five 
And I do peg them fourth, um, just above Indiana State, who we'll get to now. Um, certainly not a bad team for the Missouri Valley Conference with uh, top half ambitions here. Yeah, certainly. They're returning four of their five starters from last year, including their top scorer, Tyreek Key. They're a well-balanced team. They got some players in the front court. They got some players in the back court. They're not overloaded, which you see sometimes with some of these teams. So, you know, I think Indiana State, they're going to be a good team. Uh, the pride of Larry Bird. Uh, they always got to be up near the top of the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, they're going to need to score some more points this year. Scoring was a struggle for them last year. Now, like I said, they're returning four of their five uh, top scorers, their starters, and they're returning their top score. So I think that they're certainly capable of taking that step forward offensively. It's just a matter of how much. The key will be a, a big key to that. And this is an offense designed to uh, sort of get him in space. And you're also going to have to uh, have your sophomore bigs, Trey Williams and Jake Lavavia, uh, try to isolate them and get them some space as well. One of the bigger um, keys to this team will be in Talisman transfer uh, Tobias Howard, someone that is going to uh, try to step into that point guard role. Uh, he is a decent creator, solid shot maker. Uh, and this team may depend on his performance uh, as in how high the Sycamores can go. I know you have them pegged as fourth. I have them pegged uh, right at fifth inside that top five. And they could go a little bit inside out with those sophomore bigs and Howard and Key as well. Um, how well Howard steps into that point guard role and how well he excels there is going to determine this team's potential, whether this is a team that can get into a possible top three or if they're going to sit around that four, five, maybe six spot. Uh, this is going to really depend on how he does because I don't think there's any doubt that he will be the top scorer of this team and Williams and the Rav will be able to uh, – be able to have a decent performance in that front court, but how does Howard um, lead into this team? I'll be very curious to see how that goes for Indiana state and just, you know, how that comes together a team that has some chemistry and definitely wouldn't be surprised if the Sycamores made their way uh, into that top five. We both agree on Bradley at the three spot. This is a, uh, a team that is going to have a lot of transfers and perhaps they will need to build some chemistry. Yes, one of them being Sean East, transfer from UMass. He averaged nine points per game last year. He's going to be a big part of this team. I have strong belief in that. And they're not returning their top scorer in Daryl Brown, so they're going to need to find a way to replace that production. Maybe some of those transfers come in and fill that. They do have a ton of depth from last year, and they had one of the best offenses last year in the Missouri Valley Conference. So... I'm thinking that they're going to not miss too much of a beat. However, I don't think they will be one of those. Uh, they won't be totally up at the top with Loyola Chicago and you and I, who I know you and I both have as a top two team in these conferences. But Bradley, I think certainly will slot in at that three spot. And they're definitely a team that um, should be better than Southern Illinois, should be better than Indiana State, Missouri State. They should be better than than all of those guys. Uh, a few more transfers, uh, George Washington transfer, Terry Nolan, and Eastern Michigan transfer, Kevin McAdoo. They're both redshirt juniors. They should be able to slot into a, a decent role in the rotation, whether that's a sixth, seventh, or eighth spot in the rotation. Um, if not, perhaps get a start, but that will be very difficult when you factor in Sean East 
and also uh, Diane Kingsby, uh, who has um, plenty of experience along with him, a redshirt senior. He should be able to bring uh, some of that to the table. Uh, and then Elijah Childs at the power forward position, someone that is going to create nat- uh, some nightmares trying to match up with him, especially if it's averages of 14 eight points a game, 8-6 on the rebounds a game. Definitely should be the top in both of those sectors. And it's going to be interesting to see who sort of backs up Boy and Childs because it seems that a lot of the returning experience that they have on the bench will be in the perimeter. Um, so perhaps someone like uh, Jashawn Henry, uh, Jr., who had a pretty solid season for himself, may have to step in there. But I definitely think this is the third best team in this conference. They may struggle a little bit early on, but I think that will um, have some very – uh, good success later on in the season. So I, I love that we uh, picked um, Louis Chicago and Northern Iowa in different spots because we're actually sort of trying to debate this um, out. And I will let you start with Louis uh, Chicago, something that you think can win the conference. Yes, it was really a coin flip, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. And I really sided with Loyola Chicago. They have a little bit more of winning experience right now. Now, you and I, a couple of years ago, like four or five years ago, they were the premier team in this conference as soon as Wichita State left. Now, we all remember Loyola Chicago's run of the Final Four. Still have a couple of key players there. And from last year's team, Loyola Chicago is returning all five starters as opposed to UNI just returning their top three scores. That's where I really cited. Now, I'll talk a little bit about UNI. They do have their top scorer, A.J. Green, 19 points per game from last year. He's the program's best recruit of all time. Uh, he's certainly going to be uh, the conference player of the year, but they didn't have them last year. And when Loyal Chicago is returning all five starters, I think that they're going to have a little bit higher of a ceiling as opposed to you and I. So I'll take them. They're going to need to step up offensively. Uh, not a great offensive team. Uh, they, neither were they when they made it to the final four. They've always been a defense first team, uh, rely on their depth. And that's what they're going to have to do. And I, I'll, I'll take uh, Loyal Chicago here. Yeah, there, there's no doubting the experience uh, that Louis Chicago has. Uh, this is something to where you have someone like Cameron Kutrig who earned his second straight all-conference first-team selection last year in the front court, and you have a super defensive guard, Lucas Williamson, and part of the all-defensive team last year. Uh, and I think that they're going to have to improve around the uh, three-point arc um, and I think that's such a big key in, in any team nowadays. If you can't play well with a three-point arc, you're not going to have a ton of success, um, especially to the higher level, and that's absolutely true at the college game as well. Uh, so if they can improve around the arc, that's on both sides of the ball as well. That is not just on one side of the, of the three-point arc, offensively or defensively. They're going to have to do it on both sides. And that was something to where the, they uh, sort of had a little bit of uh, a struggle, especially defensively, um, allowing 36.9% of three-point percentage. That's actually a higher mark than they shot when their 36% offensively was still in the top 50 of the country. Uh, so you have a little bit of problems with that for uh, Chicago. They're going to have to improve on. Um, so, I mean, just defensive um, in, in, uh, improvement. And that's even with the team that 
was more efficient defensively as far as national rankings than they were offensively. So that's a key point to note as well with Loyola Chicago. A little more balance uh, might be uh, an interesting direction as well. Uh, though the Ramblers, they also have some areas they need to improve on offensively as well. Their turnover percentage wasn't very good. Their offensive rebounding percentage on offense was outside the top 300 in the country. Their free throw percentage, 65.1%. Big ouch there, outside the top 300 nationally. There are some areas that they are going to have to improve on. And with all five starters returning, I don't doubt that they'll um, be able to do that. I think they absolutely should be able to do that. They're definitely a top two team for that reason. As for Northern Iowa, I think A.J. Green is the difference maker for me uh, in this race. Uh, one of those top three scorers, um, someone that can work his way up to being a possible draft prospect when that time comes. But the, well, honestly, with this pandemic, we have no idea when that's going to happen with the NBA schedule being all uh, juxtaposed to, as compared to a normal season. Uh, but someone that averaged near 20 a game, uh, three rebounds and assists per game, uh, definitely someone that is going to be number one on the scouting reports. Uh, and you have a catch and shoot danger um, like Trey Burrow, uh, the small forward will definitely be uh, an interesting spot for him. Um, Tyron Pickford, his growth will be a big factor into how the uh, Panthers perform. Now, Austin Fife is going to have to be a key piece of this offense. He sort of uh, fills things out in the starting rotation, and he's going to be a big key to how this team performs. We'll probably play it around the center spot, um, around the center as an at the center spot. Uh, someone that uh, 11.2 points a game, 8.2 rebounds per game. He'll have to excel in pretty much all of those areas that they are going to improve. And so dominating the glass for might be the key for Northern Iowa here. And some of the, uh, the numbers, especially defensively, uh, it reminds me a little bit of, of what Virginia tries to emulate. Uh, obviously, Virginia's system is very well done. And now, Northern Iowa doesn't do it as effectively, but uh, and, uh, defensive offensive rebound percentage of 22.5%. That is in the top 15 nationally. So they do have sort of the uh, wonders that they'll be able to work in there uh, as well as their shooting on offense last year, especially behind the three-point arc, was exceptional. And that just really goes off of uh, why Loyal Chicago is going to have to improve around the three-point arc because Northern Iowa last year was proven to shoot well. Um, 38.6% beyond, beyond the arc, top 10 nationally. And they're going to have to um, keep that up to keep the pressure on Loyal Chicago for sure. If there is one number within the Ken Palm scouting report that I think needs to improve, it's a defensive turnover percentage, uh, less than 16% last year. So we have to do a little bit more of forcing those turnovers. And that is going to be an area that I think they are going to have to improve upon to make any sort of a difference. So we've mentioned Loyola Chicago and Iowa. There's no doubt that they will be the top two teams. Um, they should be the one and two seeds. They should be competing in the final of Arch Madness, uh, the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Is there anyone else that you think can uh, get up there um, like Bradley did last year and try to get that automatic bid? No, I, I think these two teams are the cream of the crop within the conference. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you're seeing these two teams meet in the conference championship at Arch Madness with only two or three losses under their belts in, in conference play. 
And it's going to be interesting. Uh, who do these teams play in non-conference? How do they fare in that? Because these two teams are certainly tournament-caliber uh, tournament teams. And I'm not entirely sure both of them can get in, given the state of the Missouri Valley Conference. But uh, th that fight on that Sunday is going to be an interesting one because I think the winner of that game will certainly be a uh, an upset-capable team. And not to mention, if one of these teams goes undefeated or something like that in non-conference, and then all of a sudden – they get knocked off in that championship game. Do you put both teams in? That, that, that's the big question. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the Missouri Valley is always interesting, and I think that this race for the top seed could be very interesting as well. Definitely a two-horse race. Um, if there is a late res uh, resurgence from Bradley after they perhaps struggle early on, they might be someone that is hot enough to uh, get to those two teams in the conference tournament and beat one of them to get to the final. So, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Bradley may be able to do it again as far as their conference tournament success. Uh, but what I will say is that with the uh, limited non-conference action and the potential for Little Chicago and Northern Iowa to um, beat each other up a little bit in their head-to-head um, -head series, I can't see both of them getting in. They're, they're both really solid teams, and these teams, uh, one of them will probably get into the NIT, and I think that that team will be able to make, could put together a pretty solid run in the NIT. Um, that will be an interesting thing to see uh, further on down the line, uh, but I definitely think that Northern Iowa, Lower Chicago, they should meet in the final of Arch Madness for sure. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind uh, about that uh, whatsoever. So now uh, it's time to get some action, Dom. You ready for this? Always ready for some action. <laughs> I, I, I know you are. And it's something that, oh my goodness gracious, um, action. We love it. We absolutely love to see some of that action. Um, Let's get into some of the um, important slate of what had happened uh, last year um, in the MAC. And that, uh, quite frankly, was a conference that um, was controlled uh, by Akron for the most part at 14 and 4, uh, winning the East Division. By the way, divisions in college basketball, big boo, big thumbs down. Uh, Ball State, Northern Illinois, they were competing neck and neck with each other uh, for the West Division in the Mid-American Conference. Uh, Akron, a team that was perhaps going to get a 13 seed um, should they have run their conference tournament, but this is a conference that was not able to play a conference tournament. Now, unlike... Boo, COVID, boo. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, I know our top five is uh, pretty similar, uh, the exact same of different orders. Uh, so let's start off with uh, Ball State here. Uh, what do you think about the Cardinals? Uh, they're losing their top score, and anytime you're you're a team in a mid-major and you lose your top score, things are not going to be an easy road the next year. However, Ball State, ton of depth in the backcourt. They're they're losing both their starting forwards. So, where do they go from there? Uh, I got one answer. It's going to be Broshan Hazen, uh, redshirt senior. Didn't really play much the past couple of years, but he's going to need to step up. Uh, he's got a couple of minutes under his belt per game. Uh, he can put the ball on the hoop a little bit. We'll see how much production he's going to give Ball State 
because he's going to be a big part because this team is plenty good within the backcourt, but the frontcourt, they're returning no one, at least starting-wise. Uh, yeah, and Jaron Coleman, uh, the Mid-American uh, Conference freshman of the year last year, he took off at the point guard position last year, really excelling there. And then senior uh, Ishmael El-Amin, some of that does have the uh, potential to be all conference this year at the two. Uh, so now you get into some of the guys that didn't start last year. These are three registered seniors. Uh, KJ Walton, he had a medical waiver given to him after an ankle injury um, um, derailed his season last year. Tulsa transfer Reggie Jones could be a smaller four there. And then at the center spot, you will probably see Bratchen Hazen. There is going to be some big shoes here to fill um, after you lose your starting center that had really, really good stuff. There are three areas to where Hazen will be tested at. Scoring, rebounding, defending. Those are the areas that this uh, he will have to excel in at the five to give this team the potential to rise up uh, in the Mid-American Conference standings from an overall perspective. Let's forget about the divisions for a moment because boo divisions in college basketball. This is a team, like you said, the backcourt is going to lead this team. Um, and if the frontcourt stays steady, there's no doubt that Ball State can be a top five team in the Mid-American Conference as a whole. The frontcourt needs to stay steady. Um, Hayes needs to do a good job um, filling in those shoes at the five. Uh, and this is a team that could have a say come conference tournament time uh, for the title beyond the West Division. Um, I think the Cardinals definitely have it in that backcourt. What else can they provide in the frontcourt is going to be the bigger question to me. Uh, moving on to a team that may even have a better backcourt, and that is Ohio here. Yeah, and the, they're returning their top two scorers. They had the top recruiting class in the conference, and Mark Sears, who's coming in as a guard, is the number two recruit in program history. So they're going to have a ton of depth here. Uh, I think Ohio is going to have a ton of players that are capable of playing at any given time. Now the question is, who's going to step up and fill the players who left now because their their top two scorers are returning, but their other starters left. Now a bunch of bench players are coming back. They can help. We also got Dwight Wilson, transfer from James Madison University. He averaged nine points per game. So they'll, they'll look to get some production out of him for the Bobcats. Fun fact, I was a Bobcat when I played flag football. So the Bobcats always got a little, little piece in my heart. Uh, we'll see. They're going to have a ton of depth. They'll be able to score at times, but uh, very streaky team. And there are a few other guys in that uh, backcourt as well that'll uh, have to provide some, some additional scoring help other than uh, all-Mac second-team guard last year, Jacob Preston. Now it's going to be uh, Ben Roderick and London McDay. Those are a few guys that are going to have to provide some additional scoring so that Preston can shine and that team don't necessarily uh, all of a sudden automatically lock in on Preston because McDay and Roderick are proven to be ineffective. Ben, um, ben Franderplass, uh, he was someone that was all-conference third team last year. His offensive skill set is pretty solid. He'll have to lead by example with that. And that is something to where, as a whole, there is sort of a growth mindset with this program. And keep in mind, too, that Preston, other than scoring, 
is also very dangerous. The ball in his hands, trying to find other other players. This is a settlement that was fourth in the country last year with 7.4 assists per game. He could definitely share the rock, and that'll benefit McDay and Roderick as well, um, because those are a couple guys that can definitely score, and a two guys that. I would suspect that one of them will get up to the 10 points a game, especially with present ability to create opportunities. So he will have to really um, take care of that. And I'll be quite frank. I was struggling a little bit between Ohio, Ball State, and Buffalo, who we'll get to next. Um, I ultimately ended up in Ohio at the four over Ball State because of present ability to pretty much do everything, to take over big games, something that he is going to have to do. And also you have... Uh, Fanderplas, who does have the offensive skill set at the four, uh, and that is unlike Ball State, who isn't quite as proven to have that front court threat, the interior threat. And of course, every big contending team for a conference needs some of that interior threats, and Ohio has it. Uh, Ball State, to me, doesn't quite as much have it. So that'll be very interesting uh, to see how Preston and Fanderplas, how they work together. I think those two can be uh, a pair where we do see some inside out and you're trying to attract defenders to the front court, but they completely forget about Preston, which is a big no-no, or even Roderick or McDay. So you have plenty of options with this Bobcat team. And I definitely think that they can get into that 15 to 20 win category. Uh, of course, 20 wins is normally the bar, but I think in this season with the last non-conference games, you almost have to view the 17 win mark as the new 20 win mark and the 22 to 23 win mark as the new 25 with those less opportunities to play in the non-conference. We go now to Buffalo. I know this is a team that I was kind of struggling to peg in. I eventually put him at third. You put him at second, um, and I, which means I know you must love this team. Right. They basically only played six guys last year. Not much depth on this team, but they do have six solid players. Four of them are coming back for this year. So that, that's not exactly a full starting lineup. However, they are getting Keyshawn Bruton transfer from Coastal Carolina. The Chanticleers, uh, we, we haven't really talked about cool mascots yet, but that, that, that one's nearly at the top of the list. But Buffalo, uh, they're really going to have five players they're going to rely on this year. It's just a matter of Who's going to step up for them when they need minutes off the bench? You know, but injuries are inevitable. Foul trouble, it's inevitable. Who's going to be able to step up for Buffalo in those opportunities? Now, when they're healthy and they stay out of foul trouble, I think Buffalo is one of the better teams in this conference, uh, if not the best, uh, up with Bowling Green. But uh, Buffalo, they, they certainly have that winning pedigree. Now, Nate Oates isn't there anymore, but uh, – you know, some of the older players have been there for when this team has made the tournament and won their opening round games both times. We'll see. I think Buffalo has a little bit more potential than Akron. Yeah, and Buffalo, to me, they have a couple of guys that are going to be able to uh, have really good success in the perimeter. Um, one of the is All-Mac first team uh, uh, senior guard, uh, Devon Graves, he had seven, over 17 points a game last year. He's the go-to of this, of this team. Ronaldo Sega, sixth man of the year in the conference last year, 8.1 a game off the bench. He's going to have to elevate to that starting spot. And then who's the third perimeter threat? Because uh, seemingly what you have with both Ball State and Ohio is a good two, if not three, two is the minimum, 
if not three in the case of Ohio, that can provide a good amount of scoring. Uh, for Buffalo, they just seem to have the two definitively, and the third one is probably going to have to really come up as time goes along. So that'll be something I'm very interested in. I think one of the biggest pieces uh, for this team that leads me to peg them above Ohio and Ball State is that they have three solid offensive rebounders returning. And that, I cannot express enough how big that is. This is a team that was very successful last year, offensive rebounding, 34.7%. That was top 20 in the country. And about the only big mark in the Kempom numbers that was big time excelling um, and compared to the rest of the nation. That'll have to uh, remain with this Buffalo Bulls team if they are to compete for the Mid-American Conference title. This is a team that I think they're a third printer thrown away from competing with Bowling Green for the Mid-American Conference title uh, for overall. Forget your divisions. I, this is a solid team. Can they find that third perimeter threat uh, over time? And over time this year, maybe you have to go through a few Mid-American Conference opponents before you find that third perimeter threat. In normal years, that's pretty much too late, but we do kind of have to uh, sort of release our timing and you know get a little bit lighter on some of that because of the short non-conference play. So I will be curious to see if the Bulls can find that third perimeter threat. If not, I do like to finish third below Akron. I just think this is a team that has a little bit better uh, stuff here. A couple of power five transfers and a dynamo point guard here. Yeah, Lauren Christian Jackson averaging 19 points per game. He's not the only player in the conference to average 19 points per game. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the other one in just a minute. Uh, I mean, Akron, you know, they're going to be at the top of the conference once again. Uh, they finished in first place last year. No, we'll, we'll never know if they would have made the tournament and maybe be, been an upset caliber team. You know, anytime you have that one superstar player uh, out of these mid-majors and then with other players that can uh, make shots and play defense around him, which is what they were last year. They're, they're capable. Uh, we'll, we'll never know. Uh, but they do have Gavin Clark, another guard coming in. He's a number three program recruit uh, of all time there for Akron. You know, when when you bring in these recruits for these mid-major teams, that means a lot because uh, the, these, these programs don't always recruit. And so whenever you see these big recruits come in, that's certainly a big thing for them. Uh, the other pro- the problem with this team is that uh, their their other top scorers outside of Christian Jackson, uh, they're they're leaving and there's not too much production return. Yuri mentioned the transfers are coming in, and I think that'll be a big part of this team's success. Uh, certainly capable of competing with Bowling Green and Buffalo at the top, but I, I, there's a little too many question marks surrounding Akron. And obviously, Jackson is someone that's going to be taking this conference by storm. This is that's going to basically compete head-to-head with Bowling Green Star for Conference Player of the Year, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Iowa transfer uh, Maisha Daly and St. John's transfer uh, Brian Trimble. A couple of guys that will flank Jackson here. Daly may be a little more of a stretch for uh, and a bigger three alongside uh, Cameron Reese, who will probably be in that same boat, kind of stretching him into a four, but also playing in the perimeter as well. So those would be a, a, a couple of guys that I 
really uh, have to uh, watch out for. And then you also have the uh, JUCO transfer, uh, Taylor Curry, uh, 6'8", redshirt sophomore, that we owe to uh, fit in as well. As well as if you want to go, if you're top, if you're tallest guy that center spot, um, Aziz Banayogo will be someone that a seven foot, you can kind of put in there, see where his abilities are, and you're going to have to really uh, find out really uh, early on because that is someone that can uh, definitely get into into some situations. Now, someone that also had some visa issues with the pandemic didn't necessarily uh, arrive in time for those daughter fall classes. However, his 7'5 wingspan is going to be a big piece of him being able to get in as a rim protector. That's a big point as well. So with me, it's, it's something of an interior deficiency um, that, that can go away if Bonogo comes in and is super exceptional. He's a player that can, if he steps in and his rim protecting abilities are like just out of this world, someone that is stand out immediately then this team has the interior threat on defense at the very least to compete with Bowling Green. But right now, I cannot put Akron above Bowling Green because it seems like this team just has a little bit more the Falcons do. Yeah, Bowling Green, they're going to be uh, a lethal team in the MAC. Uh, you and I, we both have them as the favorite. They have top program recruit. I just I just spoke on on Gavin Clark coming in for Akron. Josh Fulcher, top program recruit uh, of all time, uh, and they're also returning their top scorer, Justin Turner, nineteen points per game. There's their other nineteen points per game scorer in this conference, and the one of their other top scorers is also returning. Now this team, it's all backcourt, uh, very little in the front court for Bowling Green, but they're so explosive in the backcourt that they can run small ball and they're going to have to force the other team to run small ball as well, because you won't be able to stop them. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for this Bowling Green team, certainly the favorite in this conference. And don't be surprised to see him playing in March. And don't forget about uh, Daquan Plowden as well. Someone that is probably going to be getting to minutes at a, a smaller four spot. He is someone that can also go into a, a lengthy and slashy three spot as well. 12-7 points a game, 8-5 rebounds a game. He is someone that is going to, you know, be going to have to use that length and kind of start to slash inside and get those buckets that way. I, I suspect that he is someone that is going to have to do that. Uh, Dylan Swingle might be your other front court piece. We'll see how he gets along, uh, but he will not be the big focus of this team because that is going to go to two-time All-Mac first-team guard Justin Turner. Uh, and he had a very lengthy ordeal in the transfer market as well, but decided to come back. And I think that makes him an automatic contender for Mid-American Conference Player of the Year. You also have someone in Trey Diggs and also Caleb Fields. They both bring experience to the perimeter. And someone that um, those two guys will be able to uh, find Turner, uh, get their assist numbers up a little bit, even though it's a team that you look at it, not a ton of assists per game uh, coming back, which I definitely think that opens up an opportunity for not just Fields and not just Diggs, but also for Turner, who only averaged two and a half assists per game last season, 
perhaps Turner makes some um, waves in that as well. You know, finding fields or finding digs about three or four times a game total. I could definitely see an increase in that number for Turner as well. And also fields and digs be able to get the ball to Turner if it is a sort of catch and shoot situation. I think that is going to be someone um, to where they could do that with. And you have a few sophomores as well that could play the sixth and seventh spot. That would be uh, Chandler Turner and David uh, and Ziegler. Those two sophomores would be able to uh, play an interesting role as well. And I just think Turner puts Bowling Green over the hump. When you have Fields and Diggs as well, who are proven capable of supporting a star like Turner, to me, it just puts Bowling Green over the hump as the favorite to win the Mid-American Conference title. Forget your divisions, but overall. Now, I, I will say that we mentioned Turner. We mentioned Jackson. Who's your favorite uh, for Prairie League or even someone else? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to side with, with Justin Turner. Uh, I'm going to side with him over Christian Jackson just because I think Bowling Green is going to win the MAC, And I feel like that's going to carry an extra weight when they have very similar numbers. It was kind of similar to to Pritchard and Martin, although Pritchard definitely had some better numbers. They, they were the better team. So I'm, I'm going to side with, with Turner. Uh, I think he's going to maybe even break the 20 points per game mark, which is always rare. And I think both him and Jackson and that, but I think that with Bowling Green's uh, top-level performance in this conference, he's going to get the nod. And this is definitely a one-two situation. Uh, I mean, you, you could – uh, potentially bring in uh, Javon Graves and Jacob Preston into the conversation. But to me, I think that Jackson and Turner are your clear uh, one-two here. Um, and again, I think Justin Turner is someone that when you get into your player of the year awards, you typically go with the player who played on the top teams, one of the top teams. And there's no doubt that these will both be the top teams this debate could come down to who led their team to the conference championship. And that will probably be Justin Turner in the end. Um, I think Lauren Jackson will be able to take over more games. Uh, maybe he may be a little more likely to get to the 20 points a game mark, um, especially considering on paper what we have right now with Akron. He may be the guy that is going to have to be keyed in on. So he will have a challenge of his own trying to get through different uh, defensive adjustments mid-game. But I think Turner, he has those guys in fields and digs to go to if he is being in, caught in a precarious situation himself. So he can't get his assist numbers up. His rebalance a game are near five. Maybe they'll stick around that, and he'll get to near 20 a game scoring-wise. I think that is going to be uh, Turner's award to lose, really, uh, if, as long as Bowling Green can finish the job. Um, that is something to where their coach and talking to the Blue Ribbon yearbook was saying they are going to have to finish it this year. And I think the Falcons can finish it. And I know you do as well. Is there a possible sleeper team out of the Mac if they get hot that they can go out and win the conference championship? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Akron if Christian Jackson gets really hot. Uh, but th th that's really all I see. Uh, none of these teams are returning too many players down below and have that elite score, uh, maybe except for Toledo with Marion Jackson. He averaged 20 points per game. Uh, they, they're they're kind of similar to Ball State, like very little front court. 
if Mary Jackson's hot at the right time, uh, I could see Toledo maybe being that potential upset. I currently have them as the sixth best team. So if they want to knock off either Buffalo or Akron, whoever we have at that three seed, uh, then make a run at the other one as the two seed, then all of a sudden they're playing with house money in the championship game with nothing to lose. Then maybe, uh, who knows? But I, I would definitely say the sleeper team could be Toledo. And we mentioned Ohio already. I just think that the Bobcats have the makeup to be a team that can go up uh, and try to grab a top two spot in the regular season away from Akron. Now, I mentioned already that Buffalo, Ohio, Ball State, I really was struggling with the placement of all three of these teams. And ultimately, I ended up with Ohio 4, Ball State 5, Buffalo 3. I think Ohio is a team that can go up and make themselves known really, really quickly because Preston is someone that he can bring player of the year production to the perimeter. And that is something with his assist marks as well. And you have guys like Roger and McDay that can provide the scoring. That is already a, a, a perimeter that is right up there with some of the best in this conference. And Vanderplas is someone that someone that is already has proven to be all Mac third team last year. He will have to lead by his example with the offensive skills that he has. I think Ohio can sort of uh, go unnoticed for a little bit, like the first of the conference play in the regular season, mind you, get some solid wins, and then really start to uh, up their expectations. I would think that Ohio might be a team, even though I picked them fourth, and even though you picked them fourth, Dom, I think Ohio has a chance to catch a few teams off guard and perhaps go on a run of their own, especially in the conference tournament. I think the makeup is there, However, when it comes to Turner and Jackson and Graves, perhaps as well, that, those will be some very tough matchups for Preston to have to win. Yeah, deep team, so they're certainly capable. You know, they're, they're not going to be faced by foul trouble. Uh, they can play several guys, and when you play in those tournaments back-to-back-to-back to back to back days, which is something you're not really used to throughout the regular season, that's the type of uh, team build that you want. So Ohio is a good candidate for that as well. That'll take care of this Tua show. Obviously, we love doing these. Um, coming up in our next few episodes, uh, Conference USA, Sun Belt, the Fun Belt, as everyone Fun Belt, yes. Yes. Uh, and we'll get into all of that in a future episode. We can't wait to do it as well. We love talking about these mid-majors in our Tua shows, and we'll get into that in our future episodes. But for now, of course, you're coming to the end of the episode. You want to listen to some more. Of course, you have the whole playlist of our season previous series. So go on down your podcast app, whatever app you use. Pick an episode, listen away. Of course, it is all there for you, including all of our power conference previews as well. I would definitely recommend you check those out. For Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Have a good day, night, whenever you're listening from, when, from wherever you are in the world.